Good morning, church. Good morning. <laughs> Eugene, our pastor Eugene is out of town this weekend, so I have the privilege of uh, preaching God's word. My name is Hojin, just like Dan introduced, and I am another one of the members of our pastoral staff. And actually, our, our brother Danny is out of town as well, so if you could pray for them, that would be great. Um, we are in the middle of our Song of Songs series, and for those of you who know who I am, you're probably like, what is he doing up there? What does he know about love? <laughs> it's okay, though, because <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I am dating right now, um, just to preface. and uh, So I know a little bit. <laughs> I know a little bit. Uh, I am dating. Um, I'm not married. Hope to be married. Um, but I pray that my authority, whatever I say, would come from God's word. Um, and that I'll be speaking to single people, dating people, engaged and married people. And uh, I pray that if anything, um, y'all know that like everything I say is out of love. So I might be mean. <laughs> I might be mean, but for the sake of truth and for the sake of love. So um, with that said, uh, we are in the the middle of the book of Song of Songs, and it's written by King Solomon, the son of King David. And it is within the confines of marital fidelity. It's a, a wisdom book, and Eugene defined it for us perfectly. It's wisdom is God's will applied to our lives. So... Uh, with that said, we know that there's a lot of questions. Um, today's passage is crazier than last week's. You're going to have a lot of questions. So we're going to open up some channels for communication. Uh, Twitter. No, really, like, use it. Because when you have a question in your mind, you're going to forget by the time we sing some awesome praise songs and you come up in the front and be like, yeah, I totally forgot what you just said. So I will allow you in the middle of this message to tweet a question to at Seastone Boston, but do not, we, we ask that you do not text, check your Facebook, Instagram, or whatever. During the middle of service, we want to consecrate this time, make it about God. So uh, if you don't have Twitter or you refuse to sign up for Twitter, you can use email. And we'll try to address these questions maybe at the end of the sermon series or on, on a blog, maybe Pastor Eugene's blog. So please use, use those uh, mediums. We want to make it work more of a conversation and a lot of this is what we have read in scripture interpreted and we're trying to help you apply it to to your lives so i don't know all of you directly but i want to give you advice i want to give you biblical principles but it might play out differently based on your situation and your scenario so use these um other than that let's uh, dive into our passage we're going to start in chapter 2 verse 7 and go until Go until verse 17. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7 to 17. So one thing that we have to remember, again, is that this song is written in the the confines of marital love, marital fidelity, and it's about two exclusive relationships between the individual and their one God and between the man and their spouse or the, the woman and her spouse. So those two relationships are crucial in interpreting this passage. So from uh, verse, especially verse 8 to 17, this is the Shulamite, the, the, 
the female lover in the story, and she's explaining what's really going on and what her lover is saying. So it's kind of tricky because she's saying what he's saying. So you're going to have to track with me. But before the heart of our, chap- uh, of our passage, verses 8 to 17, we're going to read verse 7, which is a refrain that happens multiple times in the song. It's an important theme. Let's read the word together. Verse 7, I adjure you, I, I plead with you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And this is the Shulamite, the female lover, talking about her beloved. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Gentlemen, you want to be called a a gazelle? (laughs) But behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows and looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock and in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So she just finishes quoting her beloved, and this is her speaking. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Let's pray and really depend on God before we go into this. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the church. We thank you that for whatever reason that you've allowed Cornerstone to, to dive into this, this book, this very unique book that can easily be something that we, we shy away from and we don't address. But God, we want to know what you want romantic love to look like. We want to know what you desire for us. Um, and God, help us open up our hearts, our minds. And, and God, that first starts with experiencing your love, God. And just like we sang, we pray that our delight would really be in you more than anyone else, even if we are dating or married or the only thing that we want right now is a significant other. We pray that you would turn us and make, a, make our delight only you, God, first and foremost, and that from that delight, all other delights come. So God, we humble ourselves before your word. We ask for a lot of grace this morning a lot of wisdom, and more than anything, we don't want to just hear the word and not do it, but that we would leave this place desiring to obey you, desiring to, to bring you praise, bring you glory, even in our human relationships. So God, be with us. We need your spirit. We need your presence. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning, I, just like Eugene shared last week, uh, I had to go up and give the children's ministry volunteers a quick... Um, a quick uh, rendition of what I would share here. And I got some nervous laughter, so I think it's going to be a good message. Um, but the, the first thing that we have to realize that 
uh, Eugene prefaced in the e-news that we're going to talk about dating and courtship. And first thing is that I have to apologize to those who are in my discipleship class because somebody asked about whether dating and courtship is in the Bible. And I was like, oh, there's nothing explicit. Like, we just take biblical principles. And then studying this passage, I was like, okay, there, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in the Bible. So the thing with dating is that it's a recent phenomenon. In biblical times and in centuries past, people were typically betrothed to each other. They were promised to marry each other. So it was typically, you know, the, the man's parent talking to the, the female's parents and saying, hey, our children should get married, whether it was profitable because of, um, you know, monetary resources, profitable because of social class, whatever it may be. But dating, in the way that we see it, is a more recent thing. We typically look around and say, okay, like, there's a lot of people. Who is the one for me? How do I, how do I figure it out? Like, how do I know That's the question I get asked the most. Like, how do I know if he or she is the one? And that is such a cultural thing more than a biblical thing. And uh, the passage today, unfortunately, is talking about once you kind of know you want to get married to this person. But before I dive into that, I just want to give another another preface is that we're going to look at one model of courtship based on this song, just one model, and I'm going to help you who are single, who are trying to figure out, like, who to, who to date or who to approach or, or whatever. So I'm, I'm on your side. So first thing we have to know is that we have to know what we want in a spouse. And Eugene helped us with that in terms of uh, figuring out character, figuring out integrity in another person more than the external beauty. In the end part of the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1, Song of Songs, chapter 1, there's a part where the Shulamite says, don't look at my dark skin. Don't look at my dark skin. And it's not so much a reference of her ethnicity, but it's actually evidence of the fact that she works in the field. She's a hard worker. And that's something about her character that is revealed to Solomon that makes him very attracted to her. It's not... Um, because she is nice and tan, that he, he had the hots for her. In fact, back in the day, if you were pale, that was a sign of, of being wealthy, of being sheltered, being well taken care of. So it's the act, exact opposite. So for us, we have to know what we need in a spouse, not, not just what we want, but what we need. In terms of what God dictates is necessary, because oftentimes we think, oh, I want somebody who can do X, Y, and Z. I want somebody who is funny, charismatic, outgoing. But who do you need? Who do you need? Ask yourself that question. Uh, so many mistakes come from not knowing what, what you need. Because the fact is, if you're a typical guy, you haven't really thought about it. And a, a very attractive girl with a good personality comes by, and a guy goes... Maybe. But then if another attractive girl with a good personality passes by, okay, maybe her too. (laughs) It's because we haven't thought about what we need. What we need. Because if we have those filters in place, we can easily say, oh, 
she's not the one for me. What I need is someone who is going to make me holy. What I need is someone who's going to catch my mistakes and call me out and not be afraid to do it. I'm sharing personally here. (laughs) (laughs) Not what I need is someone with these measurements, not someone who enjoys doing these activities, hanging out in these places, enjoying this type of food. Those are secondary things. What do you need primarily according to what God's word says? And the refrain that we get, sorry, I'm going to go back a little. The refrain that we get here is, I adjure you that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So love is personified here in verse 7. Do not stir up love as if it was a person in in sleep, right? Like a love is me and I'm I'm going to sleep. Don't wake me up unless it's time to wake up. Don't force it. There's a timing for it. And that's the second part of the the model of courtship that I do want to share, is that we need to discern as best as uh, we can the best timing for us. The best timing. Oh, it was here anyway. It happens in chapter 3, chapter 8, and a variation of this refrain happens in chapter 5. So it's important to Solomon Do not uh, awaken love. If you have, I think the NIV, it says, do not arouse love. And that love is not the hesed love that we might be familiar with, the the love that God has for his people, the unconditional love that we should um, have for for God, but it's a hava love. It's love between human beings, especially men and women. Do not awaken that love. Potentially romantic, sexual love until... It pleases. You could even translate that last phrase until it pleases God. Uh, Until it pleases God. Love can be a very dangerous thing. We tend to only think about, especially if we're single, all the awesome things. Oh, I don't have to be alone on a Friday night. Yes. I have someone to do all these things, to try out all these restaurants. It's so nice, someone to take care of me. But we rarely think about the negative aspects. I was talking to um, a younger brother at our church, and I I was just sharing how Pastor Eugene says 75% of the problems in marriage are because of in-laws. And he was like, I've never heard that before. I never even thought they would have problems with in-laws. I was like, yeah, because you're naive. You don't know what's going on. You don't know. What love involves. Love can be a very painful, painful process if we do it in a way not according to what God wants. But if we do it according to the way God wants, it can be a beautiful joy and life-giving thing. And the timing piece, if you look at verses 11 to 13 again, it's essentially saying the same thing in each of these lines. The winter is past, the rain is over, the flowers appear, the time of singing, the voice of the turtle dove, the fig tree ripens, the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Solomon is pretty much saying visually, audibly, 
what's a smell? All the senses. <laughs> All the senses are stimulating him and indicating that it's the right time. It's the right time. Spring is the heat of spring. It's right in the middle of spring. And it's the right time for love. That's the only reason that this beloved, right? Verse 8, he's, he's, he's leaping and bounding. He's not just walking, strolling, running. He's leaping and bounding over hills. Like if you think about bounding, it's, he's pretty much like launching himself eagerly going to his lover. Next, I'm going to speak to the men separately, the women separately, in humility, in love, and then address both. First, men, approach with perseverance. Approach with perseverance. And then, sisters, guard your hearts and remember, number one, remember what you need in a spouse. And through it all, we have to uphold the boundaries set up by God. And I'm going to show you this in Scripture. So, gentlemen... Approach of perseverance, sisters, guard your hearts and remember what you need. And all of us, we must uphold the boundaries set up by God. Verse 8, 9 is actually kind of a sandwich with, with verse 17. This whole passage from verse 8 to 17 is talking about the same thing. It's this beloved, he's coming for his lover. He's coming and the, the way we indicate that is the same words are used in the first two verses as the last verse. Mountains, mountains, gazelle, gazelle, beloved, beloved, stag, and stag. And the interesting piece is that the, the personification of the male lover as a gazelle or a stag is unique. Because gazelles, I did some research, and gazelles can run up to 60 miles per hour. 60 miles per hour. But at the same time, they are one of the most shy animals on the planet. And a stag, a young stag is actually a, a deer, a male deer. And if you've ever interacted with a deer, you flinch the wrong way, it's, it's out of there. It's out of there. So if you are personified as a gazelle, able to run, if you know where you're going, 60 miles per hour, but if you're not sure, to be cautious. There's something that we can learn from that. Gentlemen, if you know you could potentially marry a specific sister, go with intent, but go with caution. And, and that sandwich, this is just for uh, knowledge, is chiasm. It actually happened three times in this passage. It makes this Song of Songs so beautiful. And another piece is that he leaps over the mountains, he bounds over the hills, and then what does he do? He stops where? Right at the wall of her house. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows and looking through the lattice. He is not being a peeping Tom here. He is not. He is not being a creeper. He is, he is respecting the boundary that she has. She has not taken him up on his invitation, on his offer. So he goes up until the place where he knows he shouldn't and stops and says, and he's, he's longing for her. He's longing for her. 
And what does he do when he gets there? He gives an invitation. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Ladies, if a gentleman says this with their full heart, you'll probably be like, woo. (laughs) If they use this language, they're a good guy. They're a good guy. And again, it's chiasm is happening here too. And what was in between here? It was all the analogy of spring. He only gives the invitation because the timing is right. So brothers, we have to be leaders in that sense and know that this female, this lady can be our potential spouse and to approach it in a way that's honorable to her and knowing the timing of it. So that's a challenge to to you brothers. Not to scope out the landscape and and almost like a, a deck of cards and throw it up in the air and see like who picks it up. No, it's very intent. You have to commit and make a decision. And then sisters, this is Solomon talking, right? He's being quoted and Solomon calls the Shulamite, Oh my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff. Doves similarly were shy animals too and they would make nests where predators could not get to them. They would go to the cliffside and a random crack, they would set up a nest there so that predators can't get to their young. Predators can't get to them. So sisters, this is a, a plea. I'm an I'm a older brother to two younger sisters. So this is me uh, speaking as if you were my biological sisters. Guard your hearts. And keep keep that safe distance until you know that like the Shulamite, you see this man. He is intent. He is committed. He knows the timing. He wants to love you with marital love, not just sensual love. Sisters, guard your hearts and remember what you need in a spouse. Because again, if a, a good-looking guy comes around, don't be swayed. If a charming guy comes around, don't be swayed until character, integrity are evidenced. This is the second to last point. Sorry, uphold the boundary set up by God. It's, I'll make it evident later, but do not have sex. I'll be very clear. Do not have sex. And I'll address that in a little bit. Next thing that happens in the Song of Solomon 2 is that we need to discover the threats and risks to your relationship with your significant other. Verse 15 is the most random verse in this passage. It comes out of nowhere, and the, the speaker is Sol- Solomon speaking to the Shulamite, and he says, catch the little foxes for us. What? <laughs> the little foxes that spoil our vineyards, and for our vineyards are in blossom. So the whole imagery is that these little fox cubs, they don't know any better, but they're running and playing through a vineyard that is ripe for picking. The fruit is ready. It's, it's the proper time. And these foxes are playing, running around, knocking over fruit, maybe even eating it when they're not the intended recipient of that fruit. So what is Solomon saying? He's, he's saying to the Shulamite, hey, what are some things that we need to be aware of? What are some things we need to address as a couple? 
what are some of the threats to the marital love that we have with one another? And this goes back to Genesis 2. God sees Adam alone in the garden, and what does he say? He is, the first time he says it's not good, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. A helper. If you were at the Young Adult Retreat, I shared a little bit about this word, helper. It's not this subordinate person like I am the man and you're just a helper. If any of your boyfriends or husbands do that, you have my permission to, <laughs> like, right now. Because this word actually connotes military help. It's a military ally coming in time of need. So what does God do? Right before the serpent comes, I'm going to give him a helper when that temptation comes. What she should have done is when the serpent came is to call him a liar and literally to say, go to hell. That's what Eve should have done. On the flip side, what a man needs to do Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this helper has to be aware of the risks and dangers. And it's, it's a mutual thing because you are so interconnected as husband and wife. You are looking out for each other's backs. You are looking out for each other's obedience to God. And gentlemen... Verse 24 is a tough call. If you are a mama's boy, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. If I can give an exhortation to um, the husbands here, when I look at this passage, I see it as when you get into a fight with your wife, you don't go complain to your parents. When your parents are being critical, you stand up for your wife. Like that's, that's a practical application I see from this passage. So in terms of the little foxes, it's about the small things and maybe some of the bigger things. And some of these things can be pet peeves, love languages, personality, family upbringing. Maybe your significant other grew up in a broken family. Maybe your significant other has been traumatized by some past event in, in their life. And to talk about future aspirations, where they want to end up, what they want to do. And I got permission from Julie to share this, so don't bother her, okay? Leave her alone. Um, So my selfish, naive thinking was that when I get a girlfriend, she's going to make me so happy. She's always going to be on my side. She's always going to back me up. She does. She does. (laughs) But... Oftentimes, when I'm complaining about something, I, I usually complain so that I, I just need to vent because I, like, I don't like to hold things in. And the most like, soothing thing is like, someone to be like, yeah, you're right. I'm like, you should be upset. You should be annoyed. But what does Julie do? She goes, actually, you shouldn't be annoyed. Like, you're being judgmental too. You should be more gracious. In the moment, I'm like, why? Why are you so like that? (laughs) Why are you so like that? Why can't you just be on my side? 
That's my sinful side. But when I think about it in hindsight, I'm so thankful because she catches the blind spots that I have. When I complain about people, no one, no one here, but... <laughs> when I complain about people, she tells me how to see them in the right way. I think that's, that's a part of being a helper that I appreciate most about Julie. My uh, favorite preacher, Alistair Begg, he says that marriage is exclusive. It's only between one man, one woman. It's permanent until death do you part, right? That's the vow. And then the last thing he says, it's disruptive. It disrupts the equilibrium. Uh, The man is very comfortable in his family. He's the son. He might be a brother. Very comfortable. Everything is set. The, the, The female, she's in her family. And knowing if, if I were a dad, I would protect the heck out of her. And this, this man breaks away, right? Leaves his father and his mother. Invites this lady. And what did, what did Solomon say? Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Come away on this rendezvous. This exciting adventure. There's going to be a lot of risks. There's going to be new experiences, but I'm committed to you. That's, that's what's happening. And two families are being shaken up so that another family can be formed. Marriage is disruptive. So if you want to take that step of marriage to be prepared for that and to see the risks in that. And then lastly, prepare yourself for a life of giving to one another. Prepare yourself for a life of giving to one another. Verse 16, it says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. If we read this verse selfishly, we can say, Yeah, hey you, you're mine. That's what the Bible says. Make sure you know it. Or the other side is like, Hey, it also says, you're mine. But what this, this phrase actually means is that my beloved gives himself to me, And I give myself to him. My beloved gives himself to me, and I give myself to him. It's a relationship of giving, not taking. And that's going to be a healthy relationship. And that second phrase right there, he grazes among the lilies. If you remember Pastor Eugene's message, lilies were like referred to the lips. Uh, So he's grazing. (laughs) He's grazing right here. That's, that's her way of giving herself to her husband. Sex is the ultimate image of giving of yourself. In 1 Corinthians 7, it says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. That's that's about it. That's the only excuse that you shouldn't be giving to each other. And single people, 
That's why it's not worth it to engage in premarital sex before marriage. It is not that person's right until you've made that vow, commitment to one another. Prepare yourself for a life of giving to one another, even physically. And what right do I have to say that? The Bible. Because I, I don't know. I say all this in tongue-in-cheek, but I really mean it. And just to close, I want to give a plea to three groups of people here. First is the single people. Be patient because it's about God's timing and God's chosen person for you. And God, you have to really believe this. God is more excited about you getting married than you are. Sisters, you might have been, you might have collected magazines and magazines of for how to plan your wedding. But God is more excited. He's actually more prepared. He wants to see you married more than you do. You need to trust Him. Um, I was on Facebook this week, and my one of my small group members from us, uh, it's crazy, I just met someone who knows, one of my small group members who knows this other small group member just today, but... He wrote on his Facebook, I don't know if he wrote it or if it was a quote, but he said, until the door opens, I'll trust him in the hallway. Until the door opens, I'll trust him in the hallway. Until that door of marriage is open to you, in that in-between time, trust him. Be patient. He knows what he's doing. So be patient, all you single people. Even those who are engaged, be patient. Secondly, don't complain. I hear a little too often, there's no good guys at Cornerstone. There's no good girls at Cornerstone. Really? (laughs) Really? Or, oh, all the good guys are taken, all the good, good sisters are taken. What you're really saying is, there's no one for me. Because if you are really obeying Christ, if you're really loving God, you'd want anybody and everybody around you to be godly. Just by doing that, you increase your pool, like exponentially. You're responsible too. If there's no good guys around you, that's partially your blame. Are you praying that good brothers would be raised up at Cornerstone? Are you praying for godly sisters to come out of this body of believers. The pastoral staff, we want you to get married to each other. We don't want you to marry with somebody from another church. (laughs) I recently heard that Cornerstone is known as the best-looking church. (laughs) No, but really, (laughs) I lost you guys, I lost you guys. But really, care for each other's godliness and obedience. Amen? And then lastly, so be patient. Don't complain. Lastly, don't cross the boundary that God has set up. I need to say it again. It's not worth it. The way God designed it is a way for you to experience maximum pleasure, maximum joy. And I have a word for those of you who have breached it. Because I'm not naive either. Secondly, to the married couples, who am I to say anything to you? 
I'm a single person who needs help. So those of you who are married, we are a bunch of screw-ups in this room. We don't know what we're doing. So if I can make a request is that, that you would share a little bit of your story of how you courted each other, how you dated each other, how you go through difficulties now with some of the single people, some of the dating people, and also for the dating couples to reach out to singles and share how they've gone through their relationship. And for the single people to ask questions. Don't, don't blame like, oh, no one's teaching me and not asking. But because we want to preserve what romantic love was meant by God so much that we would seek out help, that we would give it to one another. That's, that's my plea to the married couples. I hope that is reasonable and God-honoring. And lastly, for those of you who have breached that boundary of sex, of committing adultery, right? Anything outside of the context of marriage is adultery. This world is broken and sex has been so distorted. A recent statistic is that one out of every four women and one out of every six men get sexually assaulted in their lifetime. That means there are people here who have gone through a very broken experience of love, of that romantic love. There are many of us here who struggle with pornography, and I know this for a fact because statistically, more than the U.S., do you know who consumes the most pornography? China and South Korea. And then Japan, then the U.S. And I know it's not just a guy thing either. This world is so broken, and our view of sex, our view of romantic love has been so distorted. And this is my word to you. God loves you, and God forgives you. God does not look at you and say, what a screw-up, you're disgusting, get away. He says, that is exactly why I died on the cross. And I'm here to redeem you. I'm here to sanctify you. And I'm here to make you pure again as if you never experienced those things so that you can experience joy in the way that God intended it. Sex in the way that God designed it. So that it's not a relationship of taking, it's a relationship of giving to each other that honors God. Second Corinthians 5 says, You are a new creation. The old is gone, no more, and the new has come. Please believe that. And all of this, this song is about God's will for our daily lives. So my, my request is that maybe you don't agree with this model. Find something in Scripture for yourself. Obey it. Cling to Him because God is for you. He wants to help you experience this life in the most enjoyable way possible. And I believe this is one possible model to pursue that. So whether we are single, dating, engaged, or married, I think there's something to take away. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you because we've kind of lost sight of your design, 
your standards and your love. We pray that we would experience your love first, especially as we gather here as a congregation, as a local body, and that it would give us a desire, a longing, a, a thirst, a hunger for the type of love that you've always wanted us to experience. So we pray that today, the cross wouldn't just be an Easter thing, but it would be an everyday thing. That the love of Jesus would flood into our hearts at this very moment. Maybe we've had some broken relationships, dating relationships in the past. Maybe we've been sinned against. And maybe we've sinned against others. God, enter into our lives. Help us see your will. For those of us who are in the in-between, God, give us wisdom, give us grace, protect us from breaching the boundaries that you've laid out for us in in the word. And we pray that the word would be so central to the way we pursue anything in this life. God, strengthen um, the brothers and sisters here who might be struggling with this. Maybe they feel so lonely. Maybe they feel so abandoned, even those who are married, God. We pray that you would rekindle that love, that the married couples would start courting and dating each other again. And the single people would be patient in the hallway. So God, we submit to you. We ask that you would do your work in our hearts as you please. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.